what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how to navigate the 21st century economy without losing your humanity. Today, I've got a bonus mini episode for you. But first, a quick story. Sean and I have been working on a brand refresh for Yellow House Media. To this point, we haven't really had a brand. We had a minimum viable website, but a full roster of clients. And so marketing and branding weren't really on the top of our lists. But Sean is feeling ready to make some big moves this year. And in order to do that, he wanted to breathe some life into our brand. So I sat him down and got him talking, as I am wont to do. And as he is wont to do, he started describing how he wanted Yellow House to feel. Cozy, comforting, safe, homey. Sort of lived in mid-century modern with a grassroots aesthetic. Over the last month or so, I tinkered with a new visual identity with all that in mind. Then this past weekend, I fleshed out a whole brand identity, positioning, differentiation, and philosophy, in addition to settling on the look and feel of the brand. In the process, I landed on a ridiculously simple piece of copy to weave throughout our online presence and client materials. Ready? Welcome home. All right, look, it is not the most eye-catching or brain-grabbing piece of copy I've ever written, but it captures something pretty profound for podcasters. And that is that most podcasters don't start off feeling at home in their voices. I certainly didn't, and I like my voice. But liking your voice and feeling comfortable speaking directly into a microphone for an hour or listening to your recorded voice played back are not remotely the same things. I'm in my eighth year as a podcaster, and for the first six years, I avoided listening to my own audio at all costs. It's only been in the last two years that I've gotten comfortable hearing myself pumped through my own AirPods. Now, all of our clients have some sort of baggage when it comes to what they sound like and how they speak. And so we've had to learn how to help people get comfortable in front of a microphone or find a groove where they don't worry about every little um or like that might pop out. Above all, We want our podcasters to feel good about their true voices and manner of speaking. We want them to feel at home with their voices. Now, of course, this is not a podcast-only issue. It's an everybody issue. Our voices and identities are woven together. Whatever messages we pick up about our voices impact how we know ourselves. Whatever stories we tell about our identities influence how we sound. Feeling at home in your body and how you relate to yourself and feeling at home with your voice are inextricably linked. 
Now, in a previous episode, I introduced you to my friend Samara Bay. Samara is a Hollywood dialect coach and a fierce advocate for using your voice to care out loud. Her new book, Permission to Speak, just hit the shelves. And so I wanted to catch up with Samara to hear a bit more about the book. You'll hear how a chance encounter catalyzed her book development, how what we think power sounds like further supports systems we don't believe in, and how speaking up literally reveals something about who we are. If you enjoyed this quickie conversation, check out the episode of my series Self Help LLC that Samara starred in. It's episode 397, Bad Usage. And of course, go pick up her book, Permission to Speak, at bookshop.org, your local independent bookseller, or wherever you buy books. Here's Samara Bay. Like, when did the seed of the idea for the book come to you? And then what was the process of like giving yourself or finding that sense of permission that you needed to start putting words to paper? You know, it was uh, about an idea rather than a book. And I did not know what form the idea would take. And that was a really interesting, you know, obviously kind of wiggly time creatively. And my first thought was podcast. So I, I went and pitched this idea to iHeartRadio. They said yes, and I went into podcast mode. And right then, really, when they said yes, but before the podcast was on the air, I had this totally sideways, bizarre moment I could not have planned, where at my women's co-working space in LA that doesn't even exist anymore because <clears throat> pandemic has since happened, uh, a friend of mine who's a published author walked in with her lit agent, who was a New York-based guy and who was coming through LA for five seconds. And she didn't just say, hi, Samara, but rather turned to him and said, you should meet Samara. She did not need to do that. And we were not that close of friends. It's not like, you know, there was nothing obligatory about it. It was a true moment of, you know, I call it obviously sisterhood, a true moment of, ooh, ooh, I have a little bit of power here. Let me spread it which is what she did. And then he, to his credit, you know, was like, tell me more. I had just pitched this podcast. So I was like, oh, I have all kinds of thoughts that I haven't really worked out yet, honestly, because the podcast is in order to work them out, you know? Um, for example, I, I don't think anybody talks about our relationship to our voice or public speaking through a social justice lens. I mean, in a way, actually everybody does, but they tend to do it in this little asterisk, it's harder for some people than others kind of way. And I'm like, actually, let's take that front and center. And let's think about how we listen for power. And these ideas that I was just starting to, you know, massage. And he said, I think there might be a book in you. I'm going to go back to New York. I'm going to rope in my junior guy. We're going to get on a Zoom with you, literally the first Zoom I have ever been on. And we're going to chat and see if, see if there's a book in you. And I had the presence of mind in that moment to not say, well, a, me, uh, a book, uh, what? Right? I was like, cool. And then we had that meeting. And I remember them saying specifically, just to be clear, this is not about your dialect coaching past. It's really cool that you've worked with movie stars and that you've, you know, told them what to do with their tongues. Uh, that's not what this, movie, what, this, what this book would be about. And I was like, correct. That's not what the, I mean, obviously that's a part of my story, but that's not. And they began to give me really 
subtle but useful prompts to write a proposal, which was a year-long process because I was still a dialect coach, still had mind gunk around being a writer, you know. But that was the starting off point. And that was, in retrospect, and given the question that you asked me, a massive moment of somebody outside of me giving me permission to think of myself that way. I'm very struck by the fact that the book Permission to Speak, which is all about speaking up for ourselves, speaking uh, confidently, getting heard, was born in a moment where you decided not to say, I'm not a writer. I'm, I don't have a book in me. But I think it embodies like that permission giving as well in that what is the first thing that especially people who are socialized as women do? We apologize for ourselves. We diminish deflect. ourselves. We deflect. And your awareness, your consciousness in that moment to keep your mouth shut yes, was an totally. act of, of permission giving as well. It's totally true. And actually makes me feel like I need to name one other massive part of my permission story there. I did a reel about this this week where like, it'd be dreamy if we could say that all of our moments of, of self-actualization permission all came from the inside. But the reality is often we are exposed to the feeling of permission by somebody with more power than us offering it to us. And that should be honored because that's also okay. You know? Um, and in that vein, my parents, have cared what I have to say my entire life. And it's almost so like breathing that I take it for granted. So I'm like on a little <laughs> mini campaign inside the book campaign to like tap into that and, and say it out loud as a parent now myself, you know? The ways that we don't just allow our kids to you know, live out a form of self-expression, but that we also say yes to their self-expression, not just yes, that you can have it, but yes, you're interesting. Yes, what you're saying has value. Really is a thread through my whole life. I mean, that whole era capped off by meeting that literary agent was an era of me saying yes to this really surprising career shift. Actually, I think we're all um, living in a moment where we're trying to, those of us who are interested in leveling some, you know, multi-thousand-year-old um, structure that is not here to serve many of us, uh, are really interested in both the ways in which we don't have power and could piggyback off of our friends or the ways in which we do and can spend it wisely. I mean, one of the reasons that there was a huge reaction to my book, I mean, there was this, you know, I think I discussed it last time we were talking, there was a 13-way bidding war on this book. I mean, talk about permission to speak. <clears throat> um, was because... You know, who knows the answer to that question? But I think it was because I was willing to say the thing. And why was I willing to say the thing? Because I had practiced knowing that as a double Ivy League, white, 
pretty cute, well-spoken woman with a extremely healthy family background. I had so much privilege. It, it costs me nothing. I mean, it costs me deals with partners that I would not want to be in partnership with. But it costs me nothing to name what's really true and to center the lived experience of people who don't sound like what power has historically sounded like and say, what is wrong with society that that, that, that person feels out of touch with their voice? Let's name the things. Let's offer solutions, both to those people who want to get by in those certain spaces, but also to society at large so that we can learn to name, you know, in this case, vocal bias, voice bias, like we're naming all the other biases. It's just invisible. And we just have to throw ink on it and say, ah, I discounted that person because they have an accent. Oops. Biases aren't necessarily going to go away. We're going to have that, you know, instantaneous reaction. But what's my wiser second reaction? And the fact that I had coached so many people and I didn't come up through the public speaking world, so I didn't know much about the like coaching industrial complex. I came up through coaching actors. And then on the side, I started coaching my friends who were pitching things and who had, you know, these uncomfortable experiences where they didn't know how to tell their own story, you know, these sorts of things. I just came at it from like, let me see if my instincts, my lifelong interest in the connection between how we sound and how we get treated, you know, I might have something useful here. And as a result, what I started to notice, the more people I coached, especially once I was coaching people in the corporate world, was that everybody was meeting me with all these shoulds rattling around that were partly from their lived experience, but partly, quite honestly, from previous coaches. The ways in which people have been told how you sound is wrong why you picked that habit up was self-sabotage. Good luck trying to hack it. Here are some quick fixes to try to do so. Bye. And then, and then of course, they were not inspired with the sense of permission, full body permission, with that kind of a setup, and, and thus continued down this path of this, you know, really obvious narrative of why can't I hack it? You know, so once I realized that, I was like, I'm going to plant my flag and, you know, this privilege I have really inoculates me enough that I am happy, I am happy to say that colonial white supremacist patriarchal bullshit has fucked with our voices for too long. Hi. <laughs> I would like that on a t-shirt, please. Can I have that on a t-shirt? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Okay. Um, I got so excited about that being a t-shirt that I lost my train of thought. I'm fascinated by this coaching thing. I'm assuming that the kinds of messages that the people you are coaching heard from previous coaches are things like, don't say like, lower your voice, um, don't hedge, all of these things, which on the surface seem like well-intentioned remarks but they were creating problems. Can you unpack that a little bit yeah. more for us? Look, they actually are well-intentioned remarks, mm -hmm. right? If somebody needs to get taken seriously in the short term, in a space that is not made for them with power players who, you know, are ready to dismiss them, there are band-aids we can 
put on, right? There are quick fixes. If you keep your voice low, instead of going like this, people will go, hmm, wow, real gravitas. And I'm here to say, we are welcome to use those quick fixes whenever we want. If we think of them as tools, you know, from the acting background, choices. But let's zoom out for a moment about what world we want to be building here. Because every one of those things upholds the value systems we don't believe in. Every one of those things keeps the same type of leadership sounding the same type of way for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And the question will always be, can I chase it well enough that I catch it? And I'm curious about a completely different style of questioning. I realized that my background coming from, you know, being both an actor and then also coaching actors put me in an interesting position where I could look with pretty clear eyes at what speaking methods actually really, really work. Like what makes us lean in? What makes you lean in and watch somebody who's at a microphone or, you know, whatever, who makes a video that makes you want to share it, that makes it go viral. They're not following any of those rules that you would find if you Google totally accurate, of course, if you Google, how do I sound more powerful or how do I sound more authoritative? Those moments that make us come alive as a listener, that make us rise to our best self, that make us just share it with a friend, is usually a moment when somebody is being, being vulnerable and, as I like to say, caring out loud, revealing, saying something so true that we feel it. We feel that truth. That truth feels like trust, right? It's a human connection. That's just not how public speaking is taught. Taught from a point of view of, no matter how well-meaning, as you say, from a point of view of, let's make sure they don't laugh at you, which is fear-based, instead of what I'm suggesting, which is love-based. And some of the same, like, tools can apply, but the spirit of it is so different. Our voice, the actual sound coming out of our mouths, I don't care about. I care about your relationship to your voice and your relationship to your sense of identity because inevitably when we open our mouths to speak, we are revealing something either about our, our literal identity, right? An accent, a, a manner of speaking that is, you know, indicative of, of a culture we grew up in and or we are revealing how safe we feel. And that kind of stuff we do actually pick up on. We learn something about the person. Voices are just so fucking revealing. Or we work really hard to not reveal anything. And then we are revealing that we are unwilling to reveal. In the reel that you posted about permission uh, just recently, one of the words that you used to describe what permission feels like was mischievous. What part of the book for you felt the most mischievous? Oh my God. Okay. Question I've never gotten alert. Question I've never gotten. There's this linguist that I interviewed for my podcast and who I follow and who I think of as a real personal hero, uh, who was once asked how she's so prolific. She's at, uh, you know, well-established university and, and as such doing the whole publisher parish thing, um, but also has lung cancer and also was a black woman during the George Floyd summer when she posted this. And she 
had all these students saying, how are you so prolific? And she said, okay, I'm going to do it from memory. It's going to be amazing. She said, scare yourself with the boldness of your call for change. She also said, write something that honors those that have died from this and every virus inside of a larger letter to her students. Um, and I thought, scare yourself with the boldness of your call for change is really something I need to show up to every single day that I sit down. So in a way, I think this is hard to answer because this was a practice for me that like showed up kind of on the page all the time. Um, I will say the one that stuck out that I'm just going to honor because it was what first came to mind is deep in chapter six of eight. I finally do talk about some of the dialect stuff. I, you know, this book is not for actors who want to learn accents, right? Obviously, but um, accent is an interesting place for us to look at because all of us, whether we grew up thinking we had one or not, have an accent. And it's telling of a lot of things in terms of, you know, not just where we actually grew up and what our parents sounded like, but also how we might have tried to lose it over time and what our relationship is to that identity that we grew up with. And then I just went there in terms of the way that all of us in acting school are taught the international phonetic alphabet and specifically in order to learn standard American English. So standard American English is an acting thing. It's also in the world of linguistics and in the world of speech pathology in terms of being kind of a neutral accent. But it's a made-up accent. And its history is, quite honestly, white supremacy. And I really went there. I really told the story. And I really connected it to the lived experience of people today who grow up with non-standardized accents. And the, and the ways in which that 120-year-old standard that was introduced to American culture has played on each of us in terms of both how we talk and also how we listen. That felt dangerous, but also, you know, that's what I'm here for. Samara, thank you so much. This was so much fun. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Huge thanks to Samara Bay for hopping on the line with me to chat. Find out more about Samara at samarabay.com. You can also find her podcast, Permission to Speak, wherever you listen to What Works. She is not producing new episodes, but the show is really great. And pick up Permission to Speak at bookshop.org, your local independent bookseller, or wherever you buy books. I'll be back with a regular episode on Tuesday.